Well, hello, Exchange Church. My name is Pastor Mark, and I want to again welcome you and thank you for joining us online. If you are new, as Ellie shared before, uh, myself and Ellie are the lead pastors here, and we pray that today is a blessing to you. In fact, we pray it's an encouragement, and we're going to talking about the attributes of God and how having a healthy view of God can change and affect the way that we relate to God. And the example I've been using, if you only know that God is just and judgment, then, and you don't know that he is gracious and loving, then you will have an unhealthy, unbalanced view of God. So it's so important that our view of God is scripture-based, truth-based, and healthy and balanced. And so when we relate to God, we relate to him in the true nature of who he is. And we get that from his word. And I believe that the scripture, as it promises, the Holy Spirit is the revealer of truth. And so I'm believing today that he will reveal his word. He will reveal truth to you so that your relationship with him goes deeper and is more impactful and effective for the people that are around you in your life. I'm believing that the love of God will shine through your life. We're talking about today the attribute of love, God's love. In fact, some theologians say, and I share this all the time, is if you were to sum God up in one word, it would be love. God is love. And so I would love to start by going through some scriptures here. But what I've noticed is this, God is when this attribute is somewhat not clear, when someone's definition or understanding of love is unhealthy and not true, it can cause a train wreck in the rest of someone's life. It can cause cultural train wrecks in society when a true understanding of the true nature of love, being that the study of who God is, is wrong. It all can be messed up. And so my prayer is this, is that that would be corrected. And there are, there are attributes of God as we've been learning. We talk about the omnis, he's omnipresent, he's omniscient and, and so on. We talk about last week, we talked about God's immutability. I talked the week before about God's righteousness, that God is a righteous God. But when we look at the attribute of God's love, Love also has characteristics. And again, famous passage of scripture, it's 1 Corinthians 13, 4, 5, 7. It says, love is patient, kind, does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things and endures all things. This is some of the characteristics of love. So if I was to identify whether someone was operating and functioning in a true spirit of love, I would want to see these indicators. I would want to see these things coming out of someone's life. In fact, I would want to see them coming out of my life. I would want to know that if I am truly operating from a spirit of love, that you would see that, you would experience that. But then if you go down two more, uh, three more verses, verse 10, 1 Corinthians 13, 10, it's something quite profound. It says here, but when the perfect, but when, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. What does that mean when Jesus returns? His perfect love 
will take away my partial love. I don't have a complete revelation of God. And I thought about this scripture a lot and it made me realize that for me to try to articulate the true love of God, what a task, what an impossible task. And the reason is, is because I have a partial love. I don't have a complete understanding of love. I will for the rest of my life continue to grow and develop through revelation and the revealing of the Holy Spirit of scripture will grow in my understanding of what true love is. I'm not a complete revelation of God. So I give myself grace for that. So we know that in Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 5, it says, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your strength. Talk about love and knowing what to do with love. We must love God with everything we've got. That is the nature of love. 1 John 4, 19 to 21, and this is a pivotal verse, says this. It says, we love each other because he loved us first. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people, we can see how can we love God whom we cannot see. And he has given us this commandment. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. What a profound challenge, but also we're catching and picking up here the nature of love. Love doesn't separate. Love doesn't discriminate. Love is not selective. Love is for all. We are commanded by God to love each other. And so we don't get to predetermine we would love this person because of that's where the relationship's at, but we will not, and we will love that person because of where the relationship's at. We don't get to do that. God has commanded us because we've experienced his love, God's love, and because we've grown in that, the natural occurrence from that is that we will love other people more. And so I realize this, if you really want to test this scripture or your capacity to love, then there is a special place that has been designed just for you and me to see how well we are doing in this area in terms of our capacity to love someone. And that place is called a theme park. A theme park, that's right. A theme park is specifically designed to test your patience, to test your kindness, to test your grace. The, you know, those things, the, the fruit of love, the characteristics of love, that they will be tested when you go to a theme park. I tell you, over this uh, recent summer vacation, I, I got to take our boys to uh, a local theme park and, and it was fantastic. And um, I wanna say something right up front. I do not like theme parks. It is not something that I want to do. It's not something that I'm excited about. Uh, I don't get the, the frills and spills out of riding a roller coaster. I prefer, much prefer on a surfboard and, 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 that, and doing it that way. But unfortunately, my kids love. You know, I was, uh, I, I've decided, I've done so, I did some math on our recent trip to our local theme park because we were there for approximately four and a half hours. Out of that four and a half hours, we spent approximately 20 minutes walking in between rides. We spent 10 minutes on rides, and therefore that leaving, we spent four hours in lines to go on rides. Four hours. 
And that's not in the shade. Those four hours weren't comfortable and nice. And so it was in the sizzling hot sun where I got sunburnt, turned into a red lobster. Uh, the good news, uh, actually, well, one of the, uh, the lines that Beckett and I were in, we were waiting patiently, and it seemed to be all kind of social distance enough, but there was a, a lady who was behind us who, who, whose voice was so loud that I'm sure uh, the people two towns over couldn't hear themselves think. That's how loud she was. And I kind of wish I could plug, plug a, a quarter inch into her arm and then EQ her and drop her by about 40 decibels because it was right in my ear. The good news is that I know that her husband's new job is going fantastic. Her, he's, he's really flourishing there. And I also now how, know how to make a pine nut salad. So that's, that's good news as well. But uh, don't even mention, when it comes to theme parks, they don't make me, I don't get excited. I, I don't even, don't mention the, the restrooms. The restrooms, there are odors and there are smells that come out of a restroom that can only come from theme parks. And, and this is not a pleasant smell, people. This is a disgusting smell that comes out of those places. Restrooms are supposed to be a private place. That's what a restroom is supposed to be. But at theme parks, it's not. Theme parks, they're so busy that they may as well have their own section on the news after the traffic report because of how busy they get. You just almost want to get in and you want to get out. Now, the thing I do love about theme parks is how cheap the food is. I, I love paying fine dining prices for hamburgers and, and, and food that is probably not the most palatable stuff in the world. And I love the fact that once I eat the food and I second guess whether I'm going to go back onto a roller coaster because the stuff I just put in my mouth and down in my stomach, I don't want to come back out of my mouth and out of my stomach because of how bad some of that food is for us, not the healthiest of food. Theme parks are going to test, they test my character, they test my ability to love. And I just wanna add one more thing just to get all this off my chest because I've been going to theme parks now for pretty much all of the summer. I wanna get, I am, I'm dealing with jealousy right now for people who have the fast pass. I've been waiting for hours in line. And then you get this person who just goes with the fast pass right up to the very front. How is that even possible? And how do you get those fast passes anyway? But here's my point. Here's my main point, and I want you to catch this. I don't like theme parks, but I did it because my love for Beckett, who I took, my love for Beckett, which comes from God, is greater than my dislike of theme parks. Did you catch that? There's a premise here. The reason why I go to theme parks is because my love for Beckett which comes from God, is greater than my dislike of theme parks. Now that is a premise. That is a principle that if we adapted into our life and live by, could potentially change some of the current relationships, challenges that we have right now because of my love for something that is greater than my dislike or something else. I bet you that right now, there are a bunch of dads with 14-year-old teenage daughters, with a bunch of 14-year-old and teenage daughters and their friends, who are currently at a Justin Bieber concert with thousands of screaming girls 
but they go, not because of how much they love Justin Bieber, but the father goes because of how much he loves his daughter. And so there we are, and there he is at a concert. And I bet you that dad, he doesn't like Justin, but there he is, he goes and he does it. Now, I didn't wake up on a Saturday morning and I thought to myself, do you know what I'm going to do? I would love to go and stand in line for four hours at a theme park because I love waiting in line at theme parks. It's the best fun on earth. I didn't wake up and think that. What I did is I woke up on Saturday morning and I thought to myself, because of how much I love Beckett and because I can see the smile on his face and his friends' faces, that I am willing to stand in line for four hours. I'm willing to pay that price. And I really do mean when I say this, and I want you to catch this, when I said, I, I really do mean that God is the only source of our love for one another. When I said that because of my love for Beckett, which comes from God, I mean that that love comes from God, not from you. You are not the source of love. God created love. You can only love because he first loved you. He is love. When we begin to think that our love for one another comes from ourselves, what we do is we tend to attach ungodly conditions to that love. That's what happens. And listen to 1 John 4, 7, says it so brilliantly. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. God's love comes from God. It doesn't come from us. And so when we start to think though, that the love that we give is coming from us, we put conditions on it. And so if that person doesn't love us back, in the way that we expect them to, or respond the way that we believe that they should, we cut that love off. But hang on a minute, that, that love shouldn't be selective, it comes from God. And if it comes from God, then we should love as fiercely as God loves us. Now I wanna say this, this is where I'm getting to where if we have an unhealthy understanding of love, and it's a corrupted view of who God is, of the love of God, then we start to see all problems unfold on many different layers and levels in our life. And what I want to say is that one of the things that I've noticed within church and the dynamics between Christians in this past season, one of the fruits of the last 18 months of this political and heightened pandemic season is that you've been, uh, maybe you have been disowned from someone, maybe you've been neglected or maybe you've been cut off. And how's that made you feel? How have you dealt with that? How have you processed that? Because of some political beliefs that people have had, or maybe there was a cause, or maybe that there was just something that was in their life right now that they are not willing to compromise on. And because of that, you feel like you got cut off. And that's frustrating and that's hard to deal with. I know there's many people who once were so close to some people and now they're not. And also maybe you claim to be a Christian for your whole life but all of a sudden you're struggling with a lot of the relationships that are in your old and you're finding you're not as patient and you're not as kind and you're not as gracious with the people around you. You're, you're getting over the same conversation, it's frustrating you and you're finding it really hard to love people. Well, and again, not as a judgment, but the reality is this, then maybe this is revealing 
that there are aspects of our Christianity was more a cultural preference than it was a conviction or faith or a love that was coming from God. Maybe part of what's happening here is that's being exposed. Maybe to push a little bit further, is since when did we as Christians ever allow sin or someone else's sin to put conditions on the love that we have for one another? That love for one another shouldn't be corrupted by sin or seen through a lens of sin. In other words, Jesus was gracious. He loved us even though we were sinful and we should love one another with that same love. Not only is that one of the most, uh, putting that condition of sin on love, not only is that one of the most unbiblical things that we can do, it is in the complete opposite of the gospel. It goes in the opposite direction. God loved the world that he gave his only son. But then we somehow justify because of a difference or a frustration that we have someone else that we are allowed to cut them off, not, not talk to them anymore, push them to the side, wash our hands of that relationship. That's not biblical. That's not God. It's one of the most unbiblical things that we can do. And I want to say this, the gospel message is not sin-conditioned love. No, it's love conquered sin. In other words, sin didn't condition love and put all these conditions on love. I'll love you if you do this, if you say that, if you think this way and behave that way. Sin did not condition love. Love conquered sin. Did you catch that? Love conquered sin. And it conquered your sin. And it conquered my sin. But let's get back to the premise of how important it is to love God more than you dislike the behaviors and beliefs of the people that are in your world, which in turn, because you love God more than those things, in turn, God gives you the strength to love people. God will supply that strength and he'll give you the grace and the patience. That love comes from him. And the more time you spend with him, the greater that love will be. And there is absolutely no doubt about it. The more you love God, the more you love all people. The more that you spend time with God, marinating in his presence, being in the presence of God, the more you love God, the more you love, and I mean it, all people, and not just the people who love you back, the more you will love all people. We are the church. We are the bride of Christ. And we are the ones that need to get this right. And I believe the Holy Spirit is so wonderful that he will convict us that if we have thrown relationships to the side because of a position that we've taken, love should win. Love, the love of God should well up within us so that we can reach out to those people and say, you know what, I'm not gonna let an offense or a hurt or a pain or a misinterpretation of something still the dynamic of God commanding a blessing through the unity of his people. God can bring and repair that relationship, but sometimes we have to humble ourselves. I mean, one of the biggest challenges for the next 
coming generations as the enemy tries to sneak in and corrupt and destroy the true definition of love is their understanding of love and what a true definition of love is. The definition of love and the lie that they've been sold is this is a simple love is love. And I get the sentiment of what's trying to say, but that's not a healthy, true, strong definition of what love is. Uh, you wouldn't buy a dictionary, as I've mentioned previously, where the def definition of the word word is word. You wouldn't buy that dictionary. That would be a waste of money. And it's sad to say that some people have fallen for a love is love belief system, which doesn't do justice. When we use the word love from the Bible, and many of you have heard this uh, before uh, in different ways, it can mean many, many different things. Storge, which is an empathy bond, or phile, which is a friendship bond, or eros, which is a romantic love. That's when love, the word love is used, it's meant in that term, or agape, an unconditional love of God, agape. And I want you to catch this, that when, when a definition of love is corrupted, all of a sudden people are not loving each other, they're liking each other, and they're not operating in the true spirit of Christ, which we've been created to. Any culturally progressive mentality that is not anchored in love leads to anarchy. I'm gonna say that again, any culturally progressive mentality that is not anchored in love will ultimately lead to anarchy. Why? And it has to, because Romans 8, 7 says it clearly, because the carnal mind is an enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law and neither indeed can be. It's our human nature to not want to love. It's our human nature to go against. So if it's going to be progress, it needs to be anchored in love. And this is why the enemy tries to twist, he tries to change, he tries to manipulate the definition of love. And I believe, sadly, is that there are some Christians who believe that they have dropped an anchor of love, but it's a love is love definition. And so, unfortunately, they're blown in the storm from left to right from the latest cultural trend. And sadly, they don't actually get to experience the full love of God because that definition of who God's love is, is missed. And I think, how could it be? And isn't it a little strange? And again, I wanna push and go a little bit deeper here. Isn't it a little strange that if you're not on board with some of the cultural trends and political beliefs that some Christians have, uh, that, that those Christians will ostracize you and distance themselves from you? How is that impossible? Is that God's love operating there? Have you ever been ostracized or distanced from someone? Is that God? And if they can't force you to change, then some Christians will go as far as to try to shame you to change. Is that the spirit of Christ? Is that how we're supposed to function as a church? Or are we supposed to be different, the ones who are set apart? Uh, and if they can't shame you, then maybe they'll guilt you. You ever felt guilty into being changed? That's not the spirit of Christ. Christ did not operate like that. One of the biggest challenges to come out of this last 18 months is we've allowed what we dislike to dictate who we love. And that is not kingdom. We are commanded by God to love one another. Some might say, but Mark, if you love someone, you'll tell them the truth. I 100% agree with that sentiment. 
I don't believe it's a complete picture and I don't believe it's the whole story. And if you love someone, you will tell them the truth. But this is not actually the whole story. Jesus told the truth and then he gave an invitation. It's very different than just dropping your truth bomb and walking away and claiming it was love. No, Jesus told the truth and then gave an invitation. He told the rich young ruler to sell everything, or give away everything that he owned because Jesus knew it owned him. But after he gave him that challenge and told the truth in love, he then said, come follow me. He didn't tell him that you have to follow me. It was an invitation. In other words, Jesus knew that delicate line between crossing someone's free will of choice. You can't make someone love you. You can't guilt them into loving you or doing the thing that you want them to do. Even though you believe in what you are sharing or what you are passionate about is right, and even if you believe that it's the right thing to do for the safety of others or so on and so forth, we can't force people to do something that crosses that free will line. God gave you choice, he gave everyone choice. He told the truth, but then he gave the invitation. You know, uh, I think another challenge, and I tell you, when I, when I talk about this here, is I'm not talking about masks or no masks when I say this. I'm not talking about vaccines or no vaccines. I'm talking about salvation. I would love to force some people to get saved. I would love to say, nope, you have no choice. You now have to accept Christ, but you can't do that. You can share the truth and then give the invitation and they have to leave it up to them because it's their free will, which God gave them to choose how they will respond. John, uh, there's, a, there's another thought about love. Relationships don't create love. Sacrifice does. One of the lies in this modern culture is that if you spend time, enough time, enough, build enough relationship, it will create peace and harmony and love. No, it's not true. You can be on a trajectory to a train wreck. If the relationship is toxic, if you are toxic, and you spend more time with someone else that is toxic, then guess what will happen? Ultimately, that relationship will become intoxicated. It will become toxic. Why? Because toxic make toxic equal toxic. And so, Relationship doesn't create love, sacrifice does. John 15, 13 says, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. That is true love. What Jesus did on the cross is true love. When you build the foundation of a relationship on what you get instead of what you give, then it is destined to fail. When you build a relationship based on what you get Instead of what you give, that relationship is destined to fail. A what you get mentality is deeply tied, uh, tied to how that relationship makes you feel. What you get is tied to how you feel. And so if you don't feel good, you're out. And if that relationship makes you feel uncomfortable, you're done. And this is not a relationship built on a foundation of love. Because a foundation of love is not about what you get, it's about what you give. And giving from that heart that says, you know what, God, I'm gonna give. Some may say, hey, Mark, whoa, hold up, wait a minute, that ain't right. I need to investigate this. If all I ever do 
in a relationship. It's my relationship is one-sided. You don't understand, Mark. All I ever do is give. All I ever do is encourage. All I ever do is seem to be the one giving and the other person seems to be the one taking. Isn't that relationship also destined to fail? Well, I have two questions. The first is this, that depends. Where are you drawing from? Uh, where are you drawing the love from to love them? Where are you drawing that love from? Is it coming from you, which is impossible, or is it coming from God? And can that, can that well run dry? If you are drawing from God to love someone else, can that well run dry? You know what? I don't believe you can lose when you just keep loving and trusting in, in by faith what God has commanded us to do. I believe that he is writing a story. There's a bigger picture at play happening here. And when we trust God, he works all things to the good of those who love him. God is a good God. Most relationships and marriages sometimes tend to hang in this delicate balance, this very delicate balance between a giving relationship and a getting mentality, where I'm here to give into the relationship or I'm here just to receive and just to get. And that's where most relationships start to go toxic and start to get unhealthy because they slip into a getting mentality. Don't do that. Remain in love. Remain drawing from the love of God. Spend time with God to develop that deep love. You know what I've noticed is this, is when they are built on a get mentality, they quietly slip from loving to liking. I've seen it too often, relationship. How could it be that a husband and wife stand at an altar completely smitten with each other, absolutely in love? enthralled by each other. The other person couldn't put a foot wrong. It's like they are so easy to love, but over a process of years and years, they slip from a place where they stop, they stop loving and they start liking each other. And that what happens then, they go from loving to liking, from liking to tolerating. And then they go from tolerating each other to eventually tossing out the relationship. They go tossing each other and say, you know what, I'm not gonna be part of this relationship anymore. I'm done with it. And they throw the relationship away. We need to draw from God. Now let's talk about as well, closing up here, the doctrine. And I've heard this before, God, if God is such a loving God, talk about who God is and God is love. How could a loving God allow so much pain and suffering? Or how could a loving God allow someone to go to hell? Well, I don't wanna get too deep into all that doctrine right there, but I do want to put this thought in your head, is this, God allowed his perfect son, Jesus, to be crucified. God allowed that. We wanna talk about allowed, you have to put that as part of the thinking process of what God allowed. And some may justify, you know, and I've heard this before, some may justify their frustration and anger or hate of someone or something because that person is sinful. That's what they may say. And therefore, both you and God are alike because you both hate sin. Well, that's a very unhealthy view, unfortunately, but God loves you more than he hates sin. So he sent his son, Jesus. I want you to listen to this. God loves you more than he hates sin. So he sent Jesus. That is profound. And Jesus 
loves you more than he hates crucifixion. So he died on the cross. God loves you more than he hates sin. So he sent Jesus. And Jesus loves you more than he hates crucifixion. So he died on the cross. Yes, it was inconvenient. Yes, it was painful. And yes, not everyone he was being crucified for agreed with him politically or he agreed with them culturally on all of the different issues that were going on. He's God after all. And so, yes, there were differences there, but he loved them so much that he went through crucifixion. He didn't pass the cup in the Garden of Gethsemane. He didn't take off the crown of thorns, which he could have. He didn't command a thousand angels to hold back the cat of nine tails and cut down the cross. He didn't command a thousand angels to do that. Despite all of who we are, he still gave himself over for us. That is true love because he loved us despite everything that we did. God loves us. I don't wanna get caught playing cultural politics or caught up in the hearsay and, the, and then this new opinion and this new uh, kind of thing that's going through and trends that are happening within the church. I think we should keep the main thing, the main thing. The main thing is this, is that God is love and that he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for our sins so that we could be right reconciled back to our heavenly father. And so because of that, we can have hope in the fact that this life is not terminal but eternal and we will spend time with God forever in his presence in the presence of a loving God I just think about that that blows me away it's hard to imagine it's hard to process I'm going to be in the presence of God physically I'm going to be in the presence of God I'm going to see God I don't know if that how that makes you think and how that makes you respond but that's overwhelming in a sense Maybe what worship is right now here on earth is practice for what's to come. And so I know that God is preparing his church in this season. And like no other season that I've ever seen in my life or that I've ever read throughout in history has the church needed to step up and be the church. And be the church, by be the church I mean that we need to put aside our differences and learn to love each other with a love that comes from God a strength that comes from him so that we can unify to get on with the mission of what God has called us to do. Not get caught up in our indifference, not get angry and bitter at each other and justify it through the lens of sin and say that it's totally fine. But no, say, you know what? Sin doesn't get to dictate, but love conquered sin so that we can get on with the mission of what God has called us to do. And I believe that God is wanting to use those churches in the Bay Area, in California, right across this nation. God is wanting to use those kinds of churches that are willing to function, operate from a healthy view of love of who God is so that we can go forward. In Jesus' name, amen. I pray that you receive that word. Well, every week, we actually love to give people an opportunity to begin their own relationship with Jesus. And we say it this way, is that usually there are a few groups of people who are listening to a message like this today. The first group of people is you have a strong, solid faith that your relationship with God is secure. You know where you will spend eternity with Jesus. And then there are other groups of people, maybe it once was like that, but now you find yourself distant from God. And so my prayer is this for, 
for you today. My, the great, the good news is that there, God has provided a way for you to come back to Him. You know what? Think of the prodigal son. If you know the story, there's a robe, there's a fattened calf, there's a party, there's a, there's a whole, there's a God with open arms waiting for you to come back to Him. And so we pray today that that would be, you would respond to Him, come to your senses and come back home into a healthy relationship with Him. And maybe the third group, you've never made a decision for Jesus to be number one in your life. Simply what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pray a prayer. And if today you say, yes, I'm in the latter two of those group, I wanna get my life right with God, or I wanna make a first time decision to make Him Lord of my life, and then simply take my words that I'm about to pray, make them yours. Pray them authentically and know God will hear this prayer. So in a loud voice, wherever you are together, dear God, come to you this morning and I ask for your forgiveness for all the times that I've hurt you and all the times that I've hurt others. Holy Spirit, help me and guide me to live each day for you. And so from my heart, with my mouth, I confess you as Lord of my life in Jesus' name. Amen. Fantastic. Amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer, please email us at hello at exchangecc.com and we would love to get back to you and help you not just have a moment with God, but also build a relationship with Him. There's wonderful people. Our community groups are starting up in September. And so I would highly recommend and encourage you to get connected with one of those. We'll try to fit you in with a group that is age appropriate, uh, that is that is close to where you live. We have them all over the Bay Area and they've been a real blessing to people. On church, we go wide on Sundays, but in community groups, we can go deep. It's where we get to know who people really are and get, pray for them and encourage them on their faith journey. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's service. My prayer is that one day, as, as your health allows, you would come back in person with believing for people from the couch to the congregation. Say from the couch to the congregation. We're believing in faith in Jesus' name as we go forward that our best days are ahead. God is using his bride. He is returning for his bride. We pray that you have a fantastic week and we'll see you in church next Sunday.